The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. All right, everyone. Welcoming back to the show. Jordan Cooper, Blender HD, Blender Head. It's been, it's been a while. I feel like it's, it's been a year probably since you were on. I, I think the last time you were on, it would have been almost exactly a year because I think you were one of the first uh, Top Shot curmudgeons to come on the show after the Top Shot thing was, was taking over all of our timelines. So it's probably been about a year. Right. You, you bring me on when crypto is down. Well, Jordan, to be to be 100% honest with you, there are like five guys who I know will come on when I'm trying to get a big guest who's like not going to be a recurring guest where it's like a special ass to get them on the show. And I thought I had a show lined up for this week. Fell through. It's like you, Brian, Mayo, and, and Pete, Peter. And right, Peter. Right. We're, we're, we're the back. We're the, we're, we don't have lives. So it's like, you know that we're probably... Uh, not busy in most afternoons. So uh, yeah, yeah, last it's, minute, it's, last minute guess. Why the, why the hell not? Yeah. It's just like, I know you guys will be around. So uh, hopefully we have some new guests coming to the channel soon, but I, I, of course I never mind chatting with you because uh, if I'm, if I am to pay you a compliment, I think that lots of people in our corner of the internet are, they, they don't think that much about DFS anymore. Like they still play obviously, but it's so, uh, especially at a high level from like a business perspective, so much of it is transitioning to sports betting. And I, I don't, I don't feel that there is um, as much of a market or even as much interest in just like really seriously thinking about DFS these days. No, I think there is. It's just, it's not as, it's not as uh, vocal as it used to be. I mean, it's, it's sure. everything is niche content nowadays, regardless of what that's, that's probably more of what it is, is everyone just has their own niche these days. Right. There's plenty of stuff. I mean, I, I see Justin Freeman, you know, doing USFL stuff. It's like, well, what's the broad appeal of that? It's like, well, who says there has to be broad appeal? I mean, it, it comes down to the whole, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, thousand true fans type of mentality that did Malcolm Gladwell, did Malcolm Gladwell come up with a thousand true fans? Isn't that Malcolm Gladwell? He's the 10,000 hours. Oh, Gladwell, 10, Gladwell hours. is 10,000 true hours. fans. Thousand True Fans uh, is not Malcolm Gladwell. I didn't have to Google oh, that. Oh, it's Kevin Kelly. Okay, that's well, one, one of the two. Okay. I just I just know that Bales, Bales is a big, or, or I don't know if he is anymore. He probably has more than a Thousand True Fans, but he was the first guy I ever saw a post about the A Thousand True Fans thing. Right, it comes from the tech space. I know Kevin Kelly, Malcolm Gladwell, some, someone like that. Someone that writes, uh, you know, pretentious books. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, I mean, not not a huge fan of of Malcolm Gladwell, so I'm glad that we're not having to reference his his thinking on the uh, on the show. Okay, first thing that I want to talk to you about, since we haven't spoken in like a year, what what macro changes, if any, have you seen in the DFS spaces over the last year? Could be ownership stuff, could be more people are using X site instead of Y site, and that's driving things. What like have there been macro changes that you've noticed? Uh, well, it depends on the sport. So yes. Like the, sport, the sports that I play, 
I mean, the major sports are uh, NFL, MLB, NBA. I've gotten a lot more into MMA in the past two years since COVID. Uh, so I've been dedicating a lot of time to that, which uh, right. is there's massive edges in there. It's very similar to like early showdown type of mentality. A lot of duplication, yeah. a lot of people that are still, you know, like this guy can't possibly win. It's like, well, based on the percentages, he's going to win X percent of the time at this rate. And people are still like, well, I know MMA. And it's like me, most of the time, I don't even know what these fighters look like. So there, there's an edge there. But from a macro standpoint, I think there's, there's two major things that are happening. And one is contradictory to what people think. And one is along what people would think. So like, especially in baseball, this, hap- this is happening more in baseball than it is in NBA or NFL, is that uh, the metagame of ownership is more important, meaning that all, there's a lot less casual players that are playing MLB DFS and a lot more people that are using content sites. Yeah. So like I could go to Roto Grinders, Awesomeo, ETR, maybe not for baseball, but in general, and oh, this player, oh, they highlight that this player is underowned based on his range of outcomes, based on our fifty thousand simulations. But there's a lot more people looking at that stuff. So what a guy in a ba- a stack in baseball that is claimed to be three percent owned that should be six percent owned ends up coming in at six or eight percent owned because everyone's like well that's that's an under owned stack so like the efficient ownership in baseball has become much more uh flatter because people are are getting the hang of like the game theory of playing but that's happening primarily in baseball only because less casuals play baseball on a day-to-day basis in nfl not much so although over the past year uh a site like etr for at least the mid to high stakes stuff, maybe not the Millie maker, but definitely the $9 slant and stuff where a little bit more sharper players play uh, the, the effects of like their ownership on the field is more pronounced, but still not pronounced enough where. Oh, I think it's, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty pronounced. I, I think that, um, uh, NFL cash games, ETR has a yeah, huge Yeah, but I'm not impact. talking about cash games. I mean, ownership in cash games, I don't necessarily care about. Sure, I'm talking sure. primarily to GPPs. And that's why I, I single out the Millie Maker because there's so many casuals that play in that, the Millie yeah. Maker that, that that's always going to be inefficient. But the stuff like the, the $9 slant and the stuff like the the, the spy, like the, the ownership is, is more efficient than it has been in the past. And it's primarily due to people seeing projections and seeing the content sites, but in the more casual stuff outside of the cash games, we all know in 2022, no random person is saying, I want to turn $5. Lit- literally no person. Literally it's all people that, you know, playing in those games, even in NFL, even in, in, in the sport where the most cash game action happens. Uh, I, and actually while I'm here, this is a, this is a good point for us to discuss this because I think that DraftKings and FanDuel are going to have fairly large size contests for the World Cup. I mean, last World Cup, which was in 2018, the contests were were pretty big, and they will. Be, well, what time of day are they going to be on? Because because uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough. I mean, I don't expect. I mean, last 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 time, uh, they had 100k to firsts 
uh, contest or at least yeah, multiple, no, multiple times they had hundred K to first and they, they already there. Uh, I don't even want to give this away cause I don't want to be competing against people for these tickets, but very they're they're in, in random slates, they're giving away tickets to a world cup opener. Uh, so, so I, and they're I not, expect, and they're not filling right. And it's like, yeah. You know, so, so everyone stay like out. two out of six and it's everyone, like, wow, okay, that's easy. Everyone stay out of those. Those are, uh, those are just for me. Uh, right, but, but I, last time, uh, it could have been so much bigger, obviously, if the U.S. made the World Cup. Yes. So more people were paying attention to it. This this year, uh, coming up, with it being in Qatar, I'm expecting these slates to be like five in the morning. Well, that's that's what I don't – I mean, I don't know, and it's probably scheduled. But it they the, the showdown slates, so the final game of the day that's played, mm-hmm. those should be pretty big. It's just a ma- I, and I could look up the schedule right now, but I'm not going to. I, I just don't know the time difference, ver- Qatar versus Russia. Because Russia was, they had some games that were at five in the morning our time. I remember setting my fucking alarm for 4.30 in the morning to wake up to grind like Australia versus Denmark uh, showdown slates and stuff. But, um, which I guess is fine. I mean, pe- people probably honestly even like the showdown for soccer more than the classic slates. I personally, I prefer the classic slates, but also the problem with the World Cup is that you got the split, the, the broken up schedule times. I mean, that always hurt MLS contests. Yeah, staggering they, they, the Even starts. in Premier League, they, they typically don't include the early or the late game on Saturdays in the main slate because in soccer, you don't know who's going to start until an hour before the game and they rotate often enough that like you have well, to check we, we the should, entire day. We should get the the rotation will be far less at the World Cup. Like it, uh, especially especially for you know uh like the US will probably rotate because our coach doesn't know what his best team is, but like England's team it'll be like there'll be a couple different right backs that'll get run or whatever, but it should mostly be like the big countries should pretty much have their teams. Right, but I mean we're looking to get more casual people on board. Having a 5 a.m. Uh, start time for a slate that is 5 a.m., 8 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m. for four games, like on, on a Tuesday, like just seems like I, I'm I'm not I'm I'm putting my expectations very low on having 100k to first type of contest. Maybe on the weekends, maybe or in the later like when when they do the last group game where the the teams from the group have to play at the same time. So yeah. maybe you get four games that are closer together, but like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, ex- I'm not expecting as much as I expected for the 2018 world cup. And though, and I was pleasantly surprised. It just so happened that, that too many center backs were scoring and it was, you know, crushing me. Well, yeah, uh, you didn't play, you didn't play the Swedish center back who was on PKs. You, you and Laird, you and Laird just kept fading. I, I forget his name. You're fading him at 4,700 as a defender or yeah. Yerry, Yerry Mina would score a goal and then be like, he was like 30% owned on the next slate at like 3,900. And then he score again. And it'd be like, like, can I, everyone always gets bailed out on those things. But, uh, but the, the second point that I was going to make, but the, what I see macro-wise that is contradictory to what people think is that there are more, ca- I, I, don't, I can't profile them, but there are more casual players playing DFS than people expect. Now, they may not show up in your, in your double-ups, right? They may not, I'm talking about from a large, but I'm, I'm only studying the largest field contest. So yeah. the $15 
whatever the hell on DraftKings or the $4.44 on FanDuel for basketball, for football, for anything. And what I do is I take out, like I'll download the CSV and I'll remove what's percentage are 150 maxers. Typically, if people are entering 150 times in a contest, there it's it's a humongous signal that they're prop they're sharp profitable players because you can't do that for that long and have money, right? You're either good or you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot of money in the process. So what percentage of the field is that? And then what percentage of the field are people that are only one entry? So that to me that's the the, the two biggest signals of a sharp player and a casual player. Now obviously there are people like me. I may play fifty lineups into the contest. Right. Some may play 20, some may play three, some may play whatever. But for the most part, if you're playing 150, most likely you're a really good player and you're serious and you play often. And if you're just entering one lineup into a large field GPP, you're more likely to, I'm going to build one lineup on the couch or, you know, you could still look at content sites, but most you're likely me. You're, gonna- you're me. I mean, I, that's what I do for, for a bunch of slates. Like, cause I don't, I don't want to dedicate the metal energy that's required to really seriously play NBA or MLB these days. But, like, you're not, I pl- but, but you, even you, you're not putting one, you're, you're by, by proxy, you're putting one entry into the large field contest, but you're primarily playing like the hundred dollars single entry and just also you're throwing Correct. it in there. Correct. So, like I said, yeah. it's not, this is not like an exact science, but over the course I I've done this. For, for years. I mean, that's how I, you know, I st- I've been studying CSV since I started. So like the percentage of 150 maxers has gone up depending on the size of the contest. Like the $9 slant has become not the greatest of contest in NFL because they've reduced the size of the contest, but the amount of 150 maxers has kind of remained the same. Uh, but the, the single entries have actually gone up. So like, there's still plenty of lineups. Like people are saying that, oh, DFS is dying or whatever. It's like, no, the number of single entry lineups into large field GPPs have actually increased since 2019. So to me, that it's a, it's a signal that like DFS isn't dead. The, pri- the prize pools aren't, aren't dying. Now, certain sports, they may be, right? Right. And it just, we, we always, you know, have criticism on, you know, well, they're, they're on, on once NFL starts, all of a sudden these these MLB prize pools go down. You know, you could fill a golf contest here, but then they 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 turn it off the next week. Like they don't like build on top of one another. But for the most part, for the large field GPPs, the user base has increased. The problem is, is that the ecosystem, as far as moving up to the higher stake stuff or to the more max entry type, where you're going to play three, five, ten entries, that has that has gone down. So to me, that's just a signal that there are a lot uh, the 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 middle class essentially is getting rooted out in 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 DFS. Why there's a lot of casual, there's a lot of recreational, there's a lot of even if you're serious, you're not playing for a living. You're, this is recreational money. You're throwing it even like you, Davis. Like someone like you, I would put in that category rather than someone that's like I'm playing five thousand dollars in volume. Yeah, you know, I'm just hanging DFS. out. I love right. I love DFS, but the only two sports I play seriously are soccer and NFL. Everything else, I just play to grind the crowns, basically. <laughs> but in general, if you're a large field GPP player, like the edge is the edge is still there. There's still tons of dead lineups, and in in, in NFL, I I surmise based on what I see that in the large in the millimaker, 
The Millie Maker is essentially based on dead lineups. If you just play, if you don't, if you just play competitively, it is a rake-free contest. Well, Obviously, they, as they, one million to first to realize the EV, it's, it's ridiculous. But from there, the num the percentage of lineups that have almost no shot at first, and combined with very minimal even shots at cashing, like make up more than fifteen percent of the lineups in the contest. So, like to me. Like if you tell me that 15, more than 15% of the lineups are competitively so lower than my lineups, like to me, that's, that's a, that's a kind of a rake free type of environment. Do you think that's true in like the big NBA and MLB GBPs on a random night, like the, the 50 K to first on a random Wednesday? N NBA. Yes. A MLB. It, it's gotten, it, it's hard. It's hard to say. Because the, the sizes of the GPPs change every day. We have split slates. Uh, it still exists in MLB, maybe not 15%, right? You could still People still don't stack enough in MLB. There's still plenty of really bad lineups in MLB large field contests, but nowhere near as much as NFL and nowhere near as much as, as, as NBA. In NBA, you could, you could download a CSV on a normal, like a nine game, you know, normal Wednesday NBA slate. And if you ran all the lineups with even just go download projection X from wherever, the daily roto, who cares, whatever, just a decent projection set, you will find five, at least 5% of lineups that are like 50 points lower projected than the, like the, the baseline average lineup in the contest. And then right. you'll also find, you know, 10% of the lineups that have uh, some ownership product that makes it that unless like all the chalk hits and one guy like, like you're almost never going to win first place. You're going to need a 450 points in order to win because they're just too, they're, they don't, they don't have enough leverage. So like that combination is what I'm looking for. Baseball, it's much harder to think in those terms because it's an event-driven sport. So lineups that are projected 40 points lower than others aren't necessarily that bad because, you know, if they're stacking, they're stacking the Pirates and, you know, whatever, and at 1% ownership, even though they project horribly, like that could still win because of correlation and they're stacking against the chalkiest pitcher on the slate. So it's hard to make that assessment on how many quote bad lineups there are without running actual simulations. Like I'm not running simulations. I'm just going by just very blunt, like, okay, let me just look at all the lineups and just tell me what the projection total of each lineup is. Tell me what the ownership product of each lineup is and going, okay, here's the line where I think these lineups are really bad. And here's the lineups that are really too owned. And like how much percentage of the contest is that? And then I go, okay, that's how many bad lineups there are in here. So another thing I've noticed is I think people are, are actually starting to grasp the concept of uh, product, product ownership versus uh, cumulative ownership, right? So like you know, it's okay to play the 40%. I mean, not in baseball. I, I will, I'm just like, I'm never playing like Juan Soto against Chad Cole in Coors Field at 30%. Like I just won't do it. Uh, even though that, that is already like multiple times this year, that guy, you know, the most owned hitter has gotten the two home run game. It's just not something I'll do. But I do think people are starting to realize that as long as you have like two or three really good leverage points, you can still play Christian McCaffrey at home against the Texans or whatever, or, or, uh, you know, three guys are out for the Raptors. So you can play Scotty Barnes and Ananobi and Ken Birch all together in a lineup. Like as long as you still have two or three leverage points. 
Right? Isn't that play whoever you want? I mean, that is that's lineups, not players. It's just, you can play anyone you want as long as it depends on what's in the rest of your lineup. But uh, I think that's a very micro thing. I think there's still too many people that don't understand just the concept of ownership leverage in the first place. But yes, ownership sum is is better than nothing. But ownership product is better than ownership sum because you'd rather have your you you're going to share less points with if you play a 40% owned guy with a 10% owned guy with a 10% owned guy than three 20% owned guys, even though the sum is 60, the product of the four 40, 10, 10 is actually lower. Yeah, which is a, a which was like a hard thing. Uh, uh, golf is the sport that I would think most seriously about ownership, like uh, uh, because golf actually has, I think, the most interesting relationship with ownership projections because it's not enough to just play the low owned golfer. Like in baseball, you could be like, oh, "I'm playing the Diamondbacks tonight. They're two percent owned as a five man stack, and and that in and of itself makes them a play." But in golf, you can't just play the bad plays and be like, oh, bro, GPP game theory. It's like, it's like, no, you do need to balance out having some of the good plays, especially the major championships. Like, uh, like this week, there's the PGA championship or whatever. And if you just, if, if all that you cared about was making a lineup with the low cumulative ownership, you might even be like boxing yourself out of having a lineup that can ship because so much of the win equity is concentrated in guys who are going to be very high owned. Right. Like in golf, it's, it's better to play. Uh, I'm going to play the 28% on this and the 24% on that. And then have two golfers that are sub 5% and say, well, I'm not going to play the, th- the foremost highest owned guys and just play a whole bunch of guys that are 12% owned. Cause actually you're sharing more points with more of the field doing that. But the problem in golf to me and why I, why I don't play it anymore is uh, the, the, the stat, the metric with the most predictive power, in, uh, for as as long as uh, DK DFS uh, golf has been around, has been ownership. And whenever that, whenever that's the case, that that's the sign of a very uh, a much more efficient market in comparison to other sports. That I'd rather spend the time on other sports than when when you could when you could plot like the past three years, four or five years of of DFS golf and go. Strokes, you put in all the metrics, right? All the strokes game stuff, all the, the course history, if you want to even call that anything you want. And then you also put in like, what, what was the ownership of all the golfers and go, which is the most predictive? And it's going to be the ownership. And it's like, well, at that point, it's like, well. And that gap, that gap is closed too. Right. Like ownership is like year over year, ownership has become more predictive of fantasy points because the field is getting way sharper uh, honestly, data golf, uh, the wide proliferation of data golfs. I mean, we at Daily Roto, we host their projections like and their data is just really good. Like they just have a really good methodology. The, the, only, the only thing that that the only people that don't use data golf are golf commentators. <laughs> right. The, the, the golf uh, commentators. Everyone complain about that, that dur- uh, during the cut on like Fridays. It's like, yes. They They're never so know bad. where the cut actually is or what the probabilities. Though is. recently they've started referencing data golf's numbers, which is uh, I think on the last couple of broadcasts they they have, um, which I which I think is interesting. Uh, damn, I just you you said something that I thought was good and then it it totally. Sometimes uh, I do say good things. It well, it just it it uh, it had totally passed me by. I mean, uh, just while we're we're talking about soccer, what do you think drives soccer ownership the most? Like what? Like where are people? 
or, or is the field uh, is the field so small and so well versed in the players that are playing that that's also a sport that that ownership is going to be a big predictor of fantasy points. I don't think I don't think soccer is that way at all. I think I think a lot of uh, soccer ownership is is based. A lot of the GPP ownership is really based around odds and cash game type builds. Like, obviously, I'm on the Rotowire soccer podcast, not all the time, but like, soccer is one of the sport is is a sport for DFS purposes where cash game lineups and D and GPP lineups are not that dissimilar to each other, right? Like, you could you could well, yeah, because the, win the... a GPP with a cash with a quote. The, yeah, because the best plays in soccer are actually the best plays. It's really unique. It's really unique in that format where like sometimes a guy could be 60% and still be a play at 60%. I can't think of really many other sports where that would be true. Right. You have, you have Kevin De Bruyne at 8,200 and it's like, well, he's, he's going to be 78% on. It's like, well, on a three game soccer slate. And it's like, well, he probably should be more than, I mean, like he probably should be more than that. And also because soccer is so goal oriented on the lower scoring slates, cash lineups, cash type lineups are the better lineups. So if, if a lot more goals are scored, you could find 7% owned, 3% owned goals. You could find forwards that have no floors whatsoever. You know, they get two points or they get 18 points, but on a five game slate, that's going to like a champions league slate. Like to me, champions league is much more of a, of like you need to you most likely need to build gpp style lineups over your cash lineup while in the premier league like like that i mean look last week in and of itself over the week before whatever like literally my cash lineup won the large field gp my modify i was a 1v1 away but one of my like the choice between a 1v1 in my cash lineup between two valid players one was even higher owned one first place in a GPP because all the, the, the chalks, the best plays were the best plays. They gained enough peripheral points. The highest odd scorer scored two goals. And like, as long as you're able to build in peripheral points and get the goalkeeper that has the win in four saves, it's like there you win. You know what I mean? At that point. So like, like to me, soccer is not necessarily even about ownership. It's about, uh, just construct your your lineups are you're rarely going to be playing uh eight players like in other sports you can play okay here's my cash lineup of eight players and then go okay in gpp i barely i have only have two out of these players in my other lineups it's like in soccer a lot of times you are you are playing the same people maybe not all of them yeah you're just rotating around maybe you play one of the same forwards two of the same midfielders and one of the same defenders and then you opt for the lower owned option at second forward, second defender, and then you play some underdog goalkeeper who can get four saves or whatever. Right. Or you correlate some stuff. Like if you're playing uh, in, uh, in in your cash lineup, you're actually, you're playing two Man City players. And in your GPP lineups, you're playing like one of them with two of the other people that you're not the lower owned players from the team and hope, you know, Man City scores four goals and, you know, all of them get a bunch of points and you have two in your cash lineup. You have three different players and one of them is 12% on like, you're still kind of targeting the same things. You're you're most likely not building lineups with three defensive midfielders and a center back. So on uh, on 
the the innovation in DFS. I saw uh, I saw some chatter about this last week. Um, you know, which which I don't, it's not an original point that DraftKings and FanDuel specifically care far more about growing the sports betting side of their operations right now. That is that is what that you know they're all about growing the sports book, all about you know entering into these new states, uh, acquiring customers for the sports books. So uh, in terms of like innovation for DFS, making the product better, new game formats, things like that. I mean, where, where are you at with that? And do you, do you like, is any part of you worried that the DFS product is going to get markedly worse as these companies are putting more and more resources towards the sports betting side? I mean, we already see that with Vandal, right? I mean, Vandal's kind of like, it is what it is and that's what it is. Drafting is a much, much better, but I, uh, there's not going to be, to me, the, the innovation's done in the DFS space as far as the resources are concerned. Uh, the, in 2022, I mean, I, I, the way that, that these companies operate, nothing's going to get done unless you could prove. So like, if you're, if you're, if you're like, oh, here's a change that we should make to this sport. Here's a new format, anything like that. Whoever you're pitching that to in the company, so like if you're a developer or whatever, part of a focus group, uh, the number one question is, okay, well, give us the data that shows that we're going to make more money. By make money. This. Yeah. Right. So like immediate, and I'm not talking about make money three years down the road, make money by the next quarterly report. Right. So you can be, we may say in MMA, it's like, oh, it would be good if they added two points for takedowns defended. Right. That would kind of even it out so that strikers aren't, uh, the wrestlers are so much more valuable than, than strikers. It's like, well, that would make the game better, but would it make them any more money? And if the answer is it's not going to make them any more money in the next quarter, in the next three months, then why, why are they even devoting any resources to it? So I think that's going to be stifling innovation in the fantasy space for those companies more than anything else. They will make changes, but I think it'll be more on the side of quick type of things, you know, positioning promos, you know, the display gets different, you know, like, oh, if we move this around, more people enter contests. But I'm not sure if they're going to be, you know, like uh, uh, making it so that uh, the best ball product on DraftKings is anywhere close in parity to what it is on Underdog. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is, what is as someone who is not a best ball bro, what is your take on Underdog? And, and you know, I mean, they're spending a lot of money on marketing it. You know, obviously, eventually they want to, I think, set themselves up as some type of sports betting operator but what is what is your take on on their business model i mean it it it, they're they're serving they're trying to serve a niche market extremely well which is i agree with that but i mean can it turn into a five billion dollar business i'm not sure about that but i i to me personally i don't concern myself with that i my goal has never been to turn anything i do into a five billion dollar business so i agree with the underdog model just that it's if you don't mind having a nice little company that's profitable and makes a bunch of money and you have a nice house and everything, like, I, I, I applaud that. I applaud that. Whether or not it's IPOing or anything, probably not. The The thing about best ball, though, is that uh, if you're going to play, you want to play with the number one thing in everything when it comes to edges and gambling is you want to play against the, the, the softest opponents. Possible. The softest, yeah. And the way, even though DraftKings is not catering to power users to any extent, 
I can't, I can't imagine, even though it t- you have to obviously weigh the time value on doing it, but to manually do $5 entries and 150 into that contest has to have be higher expected value than, than an underdog where, where if you're sharp, you could do, you could do a lot, a lot of uh, time, uh, you know, efficient types of things in order to maximize the amount of entries that you put in. But I mean, I'll always go. I mean, I always lean towards going where the weakest people are, right? As long as long as the time makes sense, because you could you could tell me it's like, oh, oh, there's tons of weak action on some random Bulgarian site that you know I need to get a translate thing on my browser VPN in, and it's three in the morning for lock and whatever, and it's like, yeah, they're the softest play. You you could get a thirty percent ROI on four hundred dollars in action. And it's like, well, how much is my time worth it to do that? Now, to some people, maybe it is, but to some people, it isn't. So, to me, uh, I I view underdog best ball as probably the the best place for the user experience, but it may not be the the, the place to make the most amount of money. Yeah, that so so you are right, and obviously, I am in I am in all of these contests, and I mean, I you know, from my perspective, I would think that. I'm in the upper tier of putting together rosters that have the ability to win me the million dollars. Like I, I mean, I just, I have the advantage of being very plugged in with like the news and what's happening with like, Oh, teams are going to do this and coaches want to do this. And also having access to just a lot of tools and a lot of, you know, paywalled articles about uh, you know, these, these combinations of players unlock higher ceilings these are the best times of year to draft. You unlock more points when you draft in this month versus that month. Uh, but I mean, still, there's a, a very good chance that I don't make money in Best Ball Mania 3 because of how top-heavy it is. I mean, it's a $10 million prize pool and $3 million a bit exit to the winner of the regular season and the winner of Week 17. Right, but also it's also one slate. I like Correct. So, someone, someone did that on Twitter, like, Essentially, when you're playing best ball, it's just it's like DFS, slate. different yeah. format because you draft, but it's one slate. So imagine, imagine heading into NFL season, saying you're going to play week one, and that's it. Or in NBA, like okay, pick one slate to play, right, and that's your NBA season. So like that, that's what wrote, that takes away the appeal from me to doing stuff like best ball. It's not necessarily locking up the money. Right. I have no problem. I have a big enough bankroll that if I wanted to lock up 10 grand, I don't mind locking it up for, for six months. I have, I have no problem with that necessarily because I'm not using all of my money anyway. It's not, it'd be sitting in, in a money market account or a, a brokerage account. Don't even, don't even get me started, buddy. Don't even get me started on, <laughs> on, on Vanguard ETFs right now. That's what, that's what I have. I know, I know where this is, this is well, this is well-worn territory. So I also want to talk about this thread that you did that uh, got a lot of interactions a couple of weeks ago. Because that, this you got to do threads, right? Apparently, yeah, I got to put the thread emoji. Don't, Apparently, don't, don't, do don't. I, I've been, I've been tempted. I've been, t- I see how much interaction the threads get. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to start becoming a thread guy. But I don't I purposely think- do threads. I just want to p- put it out there. I don't purposely do threads, but it's the type of thing where I don't, I don't write, I don't write anywhere, right? I do, I do typically video and audio and my main outlet for communications is Twitter. And if I want to say something that 
doesn't fit on a show or anything like that. A little, and I, I could do a little video, but for the most part, it's like, okay, here's something that could be a 500 word blog post, but I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it as just on Twitter, right? Just here's the blah, 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 blah. So it's like, I'm not like planning it out. I'm not like, it's like, oh, this is what I, I just, a lot of times I see stupid shit on Twitter. And I'm like, I have a lot to say about this. Well, let's at least bunch them all together, right? So you could follow along instead of me just tweeting random tweets out for the next six hours. So one, I mean, that is, that is a good point. Uh, I'm not engagement farming. I'm not doing any time. I'm not, it's not, there's not a marketing strategy behind it. So I, uh, I, I thought that this thread was really interesting and we'll get into this specific a bit more, but mostly just because uh, sports content, sports betting content by and large is kind of painful. It's just, it's, it's hard to do good sports betting content and, and very few people talk about the realities of how hard it is to beat those markets. Well, I think sports, uh, sports betting content is worse than DFS content. Because at least DFS content, you're there's there's you're not it's a peer-to-peer game that ha- does not have a dynamic market. The salaries don't change, right? In on, on a DFS contest, right? The ownership could change, but the salaries don't. So for instance, on an NBA slate, this guy's out, this guy's in, this whatever. Like I could point out and say, here are the most inefficiently priced players. Right, you could use projections to see that also. Right, sort by the point per dollar column. Typically, that'll tell you who the most inefficiently priced players are in golf. Right, you could use the the odds, the purely the betting odds. I mean, that's kind of how the sites price the players. But the odds will change, and a guy that goes from forty to one is now twenty five to one, but he's priced at seventy four hundred because that's where a forty to one golfer would be. And I I can write an article that says. Well, based on the odds, this guy, this guy is underpriced. Now, is he worth playing depending on his ownership? That's a different story. That's that's the second part of DFS. But there's no, I'm not, the, the, the market can't change based on my information, right? So if I have projections that say, uh, Damian Lillard is, should be, here's his projection. And, you know, compared to these other players, uh, he should be, you know, it, it, we better play him than Donovan Mitchell. Like that, that, that information will not change based on that because the salaries don't change. Now you have to decide whether or not it's worth it to play in a specific depending on what their ownership is. But that, that, that information is valuable to someone that may not even have projections. I always view DFS articles, like obviously I work for Roto-Grinders and people write you know, their breakdown of a slate every day for all the sports. And to me, I could just look at the projections and like that's is all that information. I mean, essentially they're pointing out, hey, these are the good plays because of X, Y, and Z and because of salary. It's like, well, the model is doing that for me already. I don't have to dive deep into the little stats. But if you want to know a reason, there's you could read a 1500 word NFL week one, whatever thing and says, you know, you got to play you know, just as long as you don't play Mike Davis, you're fine, right? You could. You could do that. Nate'll Nate'll ignore that anyway. Just don't uh, play Mike Davis. Right. But I'm saying, but th- it has value, like that in and of itself. The problem in sports betting content is that the market is dynamic. So you could say, like, oh my God, that the the price the price of uh, you know the Chiefs, the Chief that the Chiefs game's over at 47 
is way too low. I have it projected as the median is 49 and a half, right? So you should be betting the over on this. Well, by the by the time you read it, the line may be 49 and a half. I mean, like you, you're not gonna be able, it's like it, me telling you that that uh, the uh, the, the $7,600 golfer should be 8,300. And then you go a day later and go, well, I'm gonna play him. And like, no, they priced him at 8,300. Everyone else got him at 7,600. You have to play him for 8,300. So now the article make, has no value anymore. So like to me, sports betting content is is that, is that the market is actually dynamic. There, there's an act, there's information arbitrage that actually happens in the market and it's not a peer to peer game. So there's no such thing as ownership, right? In DFS, there's a thing called ownership. So it's like, like here's, there's two markets going on. There's the salary inefficiency, you know, market and then there's the ownership market so even if you solve one market you have to solve the second market right and if you solve obviously if you solve one market you could probably back you know reverse engineer the other one but in sports betting there isn't that there's no such thing as i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna bet the chiefs because they're under owned right right there's no such thing as that either 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 the, the market is efficient or it's inefficient based on whatever way that you have to judge that so if I'm if if I if, if anyone's going to provide sports betting content, it's a chicken and the egg problem. It's a paradox because you you have a you have the you, the number one problem is if if I am sharp, let's say on Monday morning for an NFL you know Sunday, I say you know the line opened at at four and a half, jump on this, jump jump on jump on whatever you know Packers minus four and a half or something. Uh, by the time you read it. Or like you go three hours later, it could be Packers minus five. Now, now, now the value's gone, right? Packers minus five and a half. It's it's gone. Like I'm not betting on the Packers. I'm betting on Packers minus four and a half. Now, if the line doesn't move, and let's say it closes at Packers minus four, right? You know what that means? That means I must not be very sharp better because I didn't I I didn't even beat the closing line. So it's like so if the line moves you can't use my information and if the line doesn't move then my information was worthless to begin with so how do you do any sports betting content if that is if that is the case and that those are the that's the fundamental like the fundamental concept that 99% of people that bet on sports just don't don't get like this, this is a dynamic market that relies on information arbitrage so well i have this information it's like if you have that information, most likely everyone else has that information. There's no information that you do not have. And the information that does get released publicly, even if you're paying for it, if you can't beat the closing line with it, then the information was worthless to begin with. So how do you solve that paradox? How do you create content unless you're doing it purely for entertainment purposes, which is what which is the stuff I don't mind. Davis, if you post on Twitter, or even if you even if someone's paying you on Patreon and you're like, uh, yeah, I just placed these three bets. And if you want to tell me, tell me if you, it, and hey, if you want to jump on, you know, the, the New England Revolution game in the MLS on Sunday, even though you posted your bet on Thursday and the line moved just because you want to root on the same side as Davis Maddock for entertainment purposes. I think all of that is perfectly fine, but it shouldn't be marketed as that's where how you beat the sports books. That's where I'm at. 
I, I, I think the stuff that is for fun or, or even like making educated guesses, right. Ed, Ed Miller writes about that in his book, the logic of sports betting, where like, you're, you're just, you're making well-informed guesses, acknowledging that the market is maybe not that beatable. I'm, I'm totally cool with that. And that's basically how I approach sports betting is I'm just making a lot of educated guesses with the knowledge that I probably like if I was forced to bet every line, you know, I would lose, right? Like, because I don't have, uh, I mean, I don't have any modeling or, or anything like that. And uh, it's actually really interesting in golf because there's a feedback loop of sports books copying data golf's lines and then people trying to bet the data golf lines, which is, it's uh, the golf betting space is really interesting in that way because of how preeminent data golf's numbers are. Well, that's why tracking the books, I mean, maybe it doesn't have as much value now. But that's how, I mean, I say I, I, I don't give sports betting advice or anything like that, but I was part of a sports betting syndicate 17 years ago, 16 years ago, 2005, 2006. We bet on baseball. It was all offshore. And we, all we did was just arbitrage overnight lines. And we, you could track how all the books move their lines. Who copies who? Who moves when? And then back then, baseball, a lot, a lot of times you get dime lines. Sometimes you get seven cent lines even. So as long as the market moves more than a dime by the time from, from nine o'clock at night, the night before till seven o'clock at night before games or whatever, you capture money in between almost all the time. So like a lot of times we would bet on literally every game, right? Like at nine o'clock at night, the night before, and then five out of the 12 games, the lines would move. We know exactly when they would move at certain books and then capture, you capture four cents here, two cents there, right? Seven cents there, right? Obviously starting pitchers change, you, you know, your bets void. Uh, and then on the rest of them, a lot of times the line, even if it didn't move more than a dime, you know, we, we'd, we'd uh, hedge out the other side and all basically only end up with like, like $12 in action on the game, right? Like we, we have a side, but it's, only worth $12 instead of just locking in, you know, 50 or 60 bucks per game. But to me, that's my sports betting experience of like, this is that we're not handicapping any of the games. It's just that we know how the lines move and who copies who and the preeminent notions of, we had the public teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox that, you know, their lines would always move about 10 to 12% more than any, anyone else. And typically it'd come in late. And it's like, okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll bet, we'll bet the Red Sox overnight minus 168 and by close it's minus 184. And then we just, we, we're getting, we, we at pinnacle, you get a seven cent line or something and you're betting plus 176 on the other side and you're capturing five cents in between. It's like, well, if you're betting three grand on either side, like, thank you for the 150 bucks. It's like, as long as you're not doing it at the same book, they're perfectly fine with you doing it. The hard, the hardest part of all that is moving the money around. That to me, that was the more difficult part. But to me, that to me, that's what sports betting is. It's it's the it's just arbitraging inefficient markets and not like caring about just like DFS. I don't care about the players or the games or anything like that. But if you at least know the the mathematical, just it's so it's even simpler than DFS. Understanding how the sports books work means that even if you wanted to bet as a recreational better, you could, you could, especially with the promos that are out, you could possibly be a profitable better 
simply, or at least be the, 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 the lose the least amount of money for your entertainment by just understanding what hold percentage, just like what, what is hold percentage? Why, 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 what do parlays do to the hold percentage? I'm not saying that parlays are bad, but it's almost by default, they're, it's just going to have a higher hold because you're adding the hold of all the bets together. So like in general, it's going to be higher. So it's like the lower the hold, the more money that goes back to the players. It's very similar to a slot machine. So you see in Las Vegas or wherever you go, you're like 97% hold, not uh, 3% hold, 97%. Typically they advertise as 97% back. So that these slot machines only hold 3%, which means over the long run, you're going to lose 3%. Now, a lot of that 3% comes in the jackpot, right? So you're going to lose a lot and then someone's going to hit for $250,000. But you'd much rather play at a slot machine that has a 3% hold than one that has a 12% hold, 88% back or something like that. It's still the same slot machine. Like pick whatever slot machine that makes you happy. You're not going to, it's not going to be profitable. There's no like way to beat the slot machines. But if you go and you see all these slot machines and if you knew the hold of all of them and you're like, well, why don't I just play, if I'm going to play at the same type of slot machine anyway, just play at the one with the, the lowest hold. It's very similar to like bear, Perfect strategy blackjack. Why are you playing at a six to five blackjack table? Why are you why are you playing why are you playing on a table where the dealer could hit on a soft seventeen? Like why like you can play at tables that give you a, a better edge, which is just a lower house edge. If you had a single roulette wheel, single zero roulette wheel versus a double zero roulette wheel, that changes. That one is five and quarter percent, and one is two point seven five percent. Now, in the grand scheme of things, for entertainment purposes. Most people think, they think in terms of, does the 2% really matter that much? Now, if you're betting once in a blue moon, probably doesn't, probably just have fun at that point. Don't worry about anything. Right. But if you're the type of person that it's like, yeah, for recreation, you like betting a couple of times a day, right? Oh, what's going on tonight in the NBA? I'll make a couple of bets. Oh, what's going on? And maybe you're betting five, 10 bucks a game. So let's say you're betting 10 bucks a game, right? And uh, you're, you're placing five bets a night at 10 bucks each, right? And it's minus 110, right? Well, what happens if it was minus 105, right? So, you, so five cents a bet, right? right. So that, e- that, e- that out, of, out of your, you're going to, you're going to save like a dollar on your, on your, on your, on your $50, right? So like even saving a dollar on your $50, like, well, over the, you know, every 10 days you get a free bet. What's uh what is the the math or the game theory behind what you should do with a free bet? So let's say you know you deposit on DraftKings, you get a five hundred dollar free wager. What is the GTO way to approach the five hundred dollar free? I've heard I've heard people it de- say it, de- it. It depends. Uh, what are the terms of it? Because uh, because they're, well, they're I, I don't I'm not in a legal state, so I don't know what the right. terms generally so some, are. Because so, what a lot of books do from what I've heard, what I've seen, is that you don't get the bet back. So when you bet $500, you're not getting the $500 and then also what you've won, right? It's a $500, right? So like if you bet on, on, on a, if you normally bet $500 on an even money bet, you get $1,000 back. You get your $500 wager and you get the $500 that you win. On the free bet, you, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen, right? So this is, a, it's, it's like, it's fake money. It's completely fake money. Also, uh, 
It depends on uh, the terms as far as is the bet. I've seen people's bets voided. Like if this, if like people will bet 500 of their free bet on some three-leg parlay. And if one of the, the, the legs gets voided because of whatever, you know, the guy didn't play, the starting pitcher changed. Yeah. They void the bet, but they also void your, pro, they void, void your, your promo. Yeah. Right. They take away your promo also. So it's like those types of things. Now, now obviously I wouldn't think of putting it on any type of parlay. I'd, I, from, I, this is not something that I've thought about really. Uh, why would, from an intuitive perspective, assuming that the money has no utility to you, meaning that the, the dollar amount doesn't matter. Like to some people, a $500 bonus is like, no, I want to, I want to put it on a minus 10,000 favorite. So I just get, so, get so I think, I think, something. I think the answer is either you do, you know, PSG at home to Angers or something, right. Just like, or even draw no bet, right. PSG at home to Angers, draw no bet minus 10,000, $500 bets. You just lock in the $500 or you do, like a 50 to one golf out. Right. I, I think those are like the two ways to do it. I don't think there is a way, but the point that I'm making is that it depends on what the utility of the money is to you. Cause from a, if the utility of the money means nothing to you, then it shouldn't matter what you bet on. Right. It, bet on the bet, whatever. If, if you, if you have a, a, a time horizon on this, like, Oh, you have to use this free bet today. Well, find the most positive expected value bet that you can find and put it all on it. Right? I mean, or find three plus EV bets and split it. I mean, they don't allow you to do that. It's like, it has to be one bet, but just find what is that fi that five hundred dollars? What does it matter if that was five hundred dollars of their money or your money? It's still it's still the same. Like, why not just put it put it on whatever the plus EV? Don't put it on minus EV bet. You're gonna make more money in the long run by spending the five hundred dollars the way that you should spend it. From a utility standpoint, if you're like, I, I, I really need the 40 bucks, I really need the 20 bucks, well, then your choice changes because of that. It's very similar to the, the question of like, if I, how much would you sell? You probably heard this before. If, uh, if I, I gave you the shot at flipping a coin, right? And if, 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 fl if it flips heads, you get a billion dollars. If it flips, if it comes up tails, you get nothing. Okay, how much would you sell that coin for? Half, theoretically, half a, five hundred million, million dollars. Yeah, right. But yes. would you take a hundred million? Yes. Okay, so you're that's that's less than the expected value of that, because the utility of a hundred million versus five hundred million to you is not that dramatic compared to what you have currently. Right. Yeah, but I would uh, I would put the uh, the low ask on Top Shot at uh, at half a million dollars, and uh, I would wait I would wait for someone to contact me privately with a lower bid. But I definitely would start uh, at at half a million dollars, no right. doubt. But but you understand that the whole point of the question is that the expected value of the coin is five hundred million dollars, right? Yeah. But would you risk? Would you would would you say, oh no, I I wouldn't sell it at all, and well, you would sell it for six hundred million, yeah, because that's much. That's much better. Higher, yeah. Right. That's much better. But if based on what's in my bank account, if someone just said, I'm going to give you $10 million for this, and I'm not sure if there's going to be any other offers, like the $10 million is very useful to me compared to how much money I have. To Elon Musk, it isn't. Think right? of how many pairs of jeans you could buy with 10 million. You could have a you could have a different pair of jeans for every day of the week. I don't even wear jeans. 
well, no one really, no one really wears <laughs> jeans. I just, I was so taken aback that you only had three pairs of jeans. So I, I, my theory, and this is my plan when uh, legal sports betting comes to Missouri, or if I spend a weekend in Kansas, once when sports betting is legal, there is I'm throwing all my free wagers on golf outrights or MVP outrights or, or things like that. I'm not using any of, I'm not, I am not going to do the PSG at home, draw no bet. Well, what does it matter? The, the, the point that I'm making is that what does it matter? Why are well, you going to bet, use that money, use that money to bet in anything like, why wouldn't you bet it on just if you had five hundred dollars? What would you bet it on? If it because was because of the because of the utility of the cash out because it's not it's not it, because in order to get, if if those bonuses work the way I would imagine there's like a playthrough, right? So either way, wi winning the winning the fifty to one, you know, I bet uh, Shane Lowry to win the PGA Championship at fifty to one with this free bet. A lot easier to get through my five hundred dollar playthrough if I have a thousand dollars in my account, or uh, or yeah, but you could just deposit. Well, you still, you, it still comes back. What you're saying is still based on utility. I'm saying that, like, if I if I'm if I'm going to deposit on DraftKings fifty thousand dollars into my sportsbook account, yeah, why am I at the the free bet of five hundred bucks? What is that like? It's the same thing as the DK dollars or the crowns that you get on for DFS. It's like. Like, well, what, what are you going to spend your crowns on? What I'm, I'm going to spend it on the contest that I normally, like what does, oh, oh, I, I get the, I get the free 25, like you get a 25 Onyx tier or something. You'll get, sometimes you'll get a bonus, you know, crown, whatever bonus. Next thing you know, you get 170, whatever that percentage, you get something back. It's like, here's 170 DK dollars. It's like, I don't even know the difference between DK dollars and my regular balance. I'm just entering, I'm going to be entering a thousand dollars worth of contest today, no matter if I'm if you gave me DK dollars or not. So why am I treating the $170 any differently? Right. Well, the They're forcing the crown, me to the, play it, but I'm going to be playing it anyway. The crowns are like a treat. You know, that's, that's really what the crowns are like a treat. It's like, I was a good boy. I grinded. My crowns are a treat. Maybe I'll enter into the four, four, four this week instead of the spy. Cause I grinded I, the crowns. I just use the crowns as a, my $5 contest, you know, 27 50 whatever crap. Well, okay. yeah, you're a, you're a big old boring fuddy-duddy, obviously. But it's the you same thing. It doesn't matter whether or not. It's it's like having change, right? You go to the store, like in the old days, right? You go to the store, you give them a $10 bill, you get $8.61, you put the 61 cents in a jar, right? And that jar goes out, you go, oh, you go, oh it's now filled. And you go to the Coinstar machine, and next thing it's $56 worth of coins. And you feel like, oh, I got 50 You already had that. You could have gone to, you could either do that. You are, or you the are next not time understanding. You, go to the store, you carry change with you. So when it says $8.61, you don't give them a $10 bill. You give them a $10 bill and 65 cents and you get four, four pennies back and you never have that jar to begin with. It, it didn't change the fact you didn't lose $56 in the process of three months. It's just that you've spent it incrementally. So it's like whether or not you use the crowns all at once or periodically to enter $5 contest or whatever. It's, it, what does it matter? You are not understanding the human psychology at play here <laughs> at all. Cause you know, people don't process things this way. You're, you, you are, you are being willfully ignorant of the psychology here. No, no, I, no, I, I'm not ignorant of psychology. I'm explaining why it doesn't matter. I know why people do it because they're stupid. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to because it, it's the same thing with any type of probability, right? I mean, look, Look, look at the look, look at the, the advice that I've seen on Twitter with sports betting. I've 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 seen 
someone say that if you don't like the line on a favorite before the game, wait. Yeah, just wait. Team just to- wait for the other team to score. Score, and then you bet <laughs> it, and and you get a. a like, Look, I got to be honest. I got to be honest. When I was first learning about sports betting, I like had that thought because it's a pretty easy thought to have. Like I get, I actually get the basis of that thought. It's wrong, but it's very easy to understand why someone would think that way. Right. Because they think they're, oh, I'm getting plus 185. And I already thought that the Patriots were going to win anyway, even if they're down. It's like, yeah, but the probability of them winning has just gone down also because they just gave up a touchdown. <laughs> like it's reflected in that line. But I, but Davis, you're right. I understand why people think that. I under, hey, I do a DFS show every day. I understand why people ask me like, what, what play do you like? What, who do you think is going to hit a home run? Right? They go, what, fi- what, fi- what fighter do you like? And I go, or do, do you like this guy? And I go, you know, the only thing I know about that guy is that inside the distance line is plus 180. Right? That's all. That's all I know. Well, do you think he's going to get a finish? Right? Well, his inside the distance line is plus 150. So is he going to get a finish? It's like uh, 40% of the time he will. Based if the official if the betting line is well do but do you think that forty percent is going to happen today, like but that's not the game that we're playing <laughs> like that I understand why they're asking that question because it's like like oh I'll call I'll call for this flush draw if you could tell me that a heart's going to come out it's like well I'll tell you it's going to come out a quarter of the time I don't know if it's going to come out this time right but in poker it would sound so stupid to think that like obviously bad players may think that way but. I always relate it back to that poker analogy of when you're dealing with probabilities, it's about you playing for a longer period than there's just one. And I think a lot of the logical fallacies, both in sports betting and in DFS, come from people thinking that every that the world ends tomorrow, right? When people are like, I can't play, I can't play the two percent don't stack in the baseball GPP because that they're they're not gonna they're not gonna be the winning stack like most of the time. I said. Said you're right, but there'll be more of the time over the course of the season than what people will play the match. He said, "Yeah, but what happens if I lose today?" So, so then you play tomorrow. So, I mean, they, but you, I really, I really need to win today because the contest I want to win is today. Right, right. But it, it, I want to win this poker hand. It's like who thinks that way? You're going to be playing tons of poker hands. Like I need to. The flush needs to hit. The, the only way that you could make that case is if you're putting all your money on the line. You're saying I'm playing 100 percent of my bankroll. And I need to win today. And then I would say, you're probably stupid for doing that. But like, that would be the only reasoning. When, when people are like, like, how do you, how do you do, th- what happens if this doesn't happen? And I go, then I lose. And they go, well, you're fine with losing? I said, yeah, I'm going to lose like 90 plus percent of the time. I said, and you still make money? I said, I make a ton of money. Because the 10% of the time that I win, I win way more than I should those 10% of the time. I said, but what happens if you don't win today? I said, so I'll play tomorrow. Does DFS go away? If you tell me that DFS goes away tomorrow, I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna play a lot on this MLB slate because it's gonna be the last slate ever. So yeah, yeah, okay, I can understand. I'm gonna play more than one percent of my bankroll on the last DFS slate ever. Yes, yes, I I will do that. But until you tell me that, and I'm not, I don't live in Ontario, I'm fine, right? I'm gonna play my one percent every day, and while you worry about what's gonna happen today, how much money would you have to make to own a little bit of Bitcoin? For if we're talking about thinking in probability, you've assigned you've assigned a zero percent probability that Bitcoin is going to be worth owning in ten years, which I think is interesting for someone who's probability minded. It's not zero. I, I I'll give you credit. It's not zero. But it's, every it's, day, pre- it's pretty fucking low. It's pretty fucking the 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 Lindy effect. Every day, every day that something continues to exist, the more likely it is to exist the next day. No, that you, you, that's why I said I have to give you credit. 
that the long now well will i own top shots no that that's that's uh, there's a buddy there's no reason you will will not see me with an nft that's that's absolutely unequivocally may the the only nfts that you may see me in the day are the ones like like i i the, the only one that i get and what i would consider is so rare yeah so rare is cool because to me, it's a game. It's a game that just it's happens a game. to be run on on, yeah, a, it's a, on a on a crypto well, chain. Eventually, eventually, you will own uh, you will own NFTs, and you just won't even know it. Eventually, that is the way. That is the way it's all trending. Well, but I I I am not. Uh, I I would um, maybe I was for a period, but I would never be. Uh, or I am not the person now telling like, oh, dude, you got to buy these cartoon pictures of the, like. I think they're some of them are cool, but the nft twitter is so bad and annoying by and large that i i am uh not not as interested in the the cartoon pictures of monkeys you know you know, you know what i do every month every month i take 500 dollars, i put it in my ira and i buy either a voo or qqq love that for you <laughs> and you yeah. know why i buy voo over sby because it's a slightly lower expense ratio it's perfect for you because it's going to be there for the next 20 years so what the hell did like that that's the thing i give you credit for davis i know i'm a bitcoin i don't give a shit about uh but at least the difference between our last conversation when it came to nfts versus bitcoin is that nfts i said the last time i said if you want to try to flip and not be the bag holder good luck playing that game and i respect it and if you could come out ahead and not be left holding the bag I get it. I'm not going to spend time doing it, but I can get you. But the thing that I respect about your Bitcoin stuff is that that you're not looking to flip Bitcoin. Like you're just like you're holding Bitcoin the same way that I hold uh, uh, the S and P 500. You're like 100. I'm just gonna I'm gonna just DCA in, and this is I'm you're putting your retirement into Bitcoin. I'm putting my retirement into the stock market, and you're not like oh it's down to thirty thousand. What do I do? It's like no like dude. I know the stock market's down. I could look at my 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 yeah. You, you look at you look at your brokerage account. You'll be wrecked right now. Right, but but the but the thing is, is that over a ten year period, I mean, I'm is this money that I need right now? No. So like, any historical ten year period, you're gonna find that you're up at the at the end anyway. So like, like a lot of times, the best investment advice is to is to uh, put put a couple of hundred bucks a month or whatever the hell it is into your brokerage account and forget your password, right? And forget your password for twenty years, and you're most likely you're going to beat 95% of people that, that try to beat the market that you could be better off just doing that in the next fund. So like that, that's, that's been my approach. Yes. I have a little bit of uh, DraftKings stock and bet stock. That's my little, you know, uh, upside, whatever, obviously it's down a lot, but, uh, but I got a little in there, but so Bitcoin could be, it could be, it could maybe, maybe at some, at, at, at some point, maybe, but to me, the the United States economy isn't going downhill, and and uh, not, the the top five hundred companies in in the country are not going to be bankrupt overnight. So, like, if you end if yeah, if you end up being rich in twenty years, and I end up just being comfortable in twenty years, I could live with that, and and I, I'm I'm more than happy for you. I I believe you. By the way, I actually believe that you are one of the people that would see Bitcoin millionaires and be like, I could have I could have been one of those, but not actually be uh upset about it what uh what is your what is your uh your opinion your take your your philosophy on the inflation stuff right now as a as a uh, I'm not modern an economist i don't know i think a lot i think a lot of the stuff 
is supply chain oriented. I said this the last time. I think uh, job, the, the labor market is, is the best. It's, it's not, I don't see a recession coming. Too many people have jobs. Right. I mean, like their, their jobs don't their jobs don't pay that well, though. And and their things are more food, food and gas are so expensive. Only 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 tra transitory. Right. Isn't that the word transitory? But well, I'm not a the, the Fed, the Fed, the Fed recanted that the Fed said they were wrong. The Fed said it was uh, transitory. And then they said, actually, we lied. It's it's real for me to talk about economic concepts is why. I mean, what do I know? Right. I, I, because everything we do is about making uh, so much of our content is about making money and what to do with our money. So I, I find that I, I find that the things are related. Yeah, but I'm not in the market. I'm in like my market participation in the in the in the in, in, in the investment economy is all 20 year time horizon based, not short term based. So to me, dips up and downs don't what what is that? As long as I don't need the money now then what do I, yeah, there's going to be inflation, right. And also I don't mind holding cash. And it's like, well, the inflation's 8%, whatever. It's like, there's also value in not losing more money, right? So like, for instance, if you, if you turned everything into cash three months ago, you're, yeah, you're not beating inflation, but you're also not down 30%. So like there is some, there is some value in cash, even with inflation. It depends on where you're coming from. I'm like, like you mentioned before, I'm I'm going to be the person when when you when you have when you're uh you know you're showing your your bling when you have uh seven hundred million dollars and you 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 own the an MLS team or something like that because of all the Bitcoin like I'm going to be sitting there with like I don't know five million dollars in a nice house and enjoying myself when I'm sixty five and. So I don't own an MLS. So I don't own a soccer team. Wow. God, how great would owning an MLS right. team be? I would give so I would give Solly March the biggest contract the MLS has ever seen. <laughs> I would I would just sign a bunch of guys who cross a shit ton from from lower tier EPL champ and and championship teams. You, you, they would you're be. But twenty years from now, you're going to be paying uh, great wages for a fifty eight year old Kieran Trippier. Hundred percent. Could not could not be more excited for a forty seven year old Kieran Trippier to feature for Sporting Kansas City. I hope that I hope that happens someday. Uh, who wins the World Cup? Have you have you given this any serious thought? I don't know. I don't care who wins anything anymore. I just care about my lineups. So you don't, don't care know. about who wins the World Cup? No. Do you know? Well, other than the United States, then what does it matter? And it's not going to be the United States. It's not so going to be, be the someone United else. States. Right. So soccer, else. soccer is the one sport where I still care quite a bit about the performances of the team because so much of the content that I take in because I don't really like fantasy sports podcasts, but I do really like just general soccer chat podcasts, and obviously those are all about the win losses of the teams. And there's just great drama in the EPL. It's great drama. Well, I, well, I follow the US. Yeah, so I, I, I take in USL content, which there isn't that much of. Is there is there a, a USL like weekly like league recap podcast? Yeah, no, they're they're fan podcasts, and Louisville City has like four or five podcasts. I used to do one for them, right? So I mean, their team podcast. I mean, the bit. I mean, there's there's enough. I mean, we we get like nine ten thousand a game. I mean, New Mexico gets like eleven twelve thousand a game. Indy gets eight thousand. I mean, like half of the league draws over five thousand a game. So it's. It's it's a competitive league with people with fans and everything. Obviously, it's not as big as the Premier League or anything even close to that. But my team is in that league. 
I can't do anything about it. There's no pro rel. There's no nothing. So who it, to me, it's less important who wins between Liverpool and Man City. For me, it depends on uh, Tampa Bay and, uh, and Charleston game on, on a Saturday it means way more to me than any Premier League game because, you know, there's two teams towards the top of the table where we are. In the US. Isn't there, isn't, did I, did I see correctly that Louisville is making a bid for an MLS team? That it's, it's always, it's, it's always every year. There's always a press story or whatever. It's uh, would they make a bid? Sure. But they're not going to get, I mean, we don't, we don't have the, 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 the ownership is not the net worth of the ownership. It's is ne- never going to get to that level where they could bid on an MLS team, but it's something to always put in the press only because uh, there's a stigma in the United States about lower division sports that doesn't exist as much in Europe. In Europe, you could be, if you want to be a Coventry fan, be a Coventry fan. It doesn't matter what, what division they're in, right? You, 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 you want to be a, 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 a Hereford United fan or whatever the hell, like that's what represents your community. It doesn't matter that you're in League Two and you follow League Two and obviously you get promoted or whatever, but you just care about that. And we, that happens in the United States typically in college sports right in places where there's no yeah, college sports. college sports are the like what what soccer is in european countries is what right. colleges are here right um but, do you the, think, but the point but the point being is that that when you say okay i'm, a, I'm what's your what's your favorite team in soccer i'm go louisville city go louisville city it's like yeah division they're, they're in the second division usl second division us it's like you don't have an mls team it's like why do i have any affinity to an mls team they're not part of my community like I'm not going to adopt the team. I have no, I have no feeling towards whatsoever. I'm going to support my local team, wherever the hell league they happen to be in, uh, in the same way that because and here in Louisville, you'll get that that cognitive dissonance of people because obviously here in Louisville, college basketball rules everything, right? U of L versus uh, UK, Kentucky Louisville rivalry, uh, and people in Louisville would say, uh, "I wish we, I wish we got a, a professional soccer team." I go, we have a professional soccer team. We've had it for seven years. And they go, no, no, like a real one, like a one that's like an MLS. I go, we have a professional soccer team. It just happens to not be an MLS. It's like, yeah, but I'll go to, I'll go to a game and I'll root for them when, 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 they're, when they're a major league team. And then, I, and then you know what I say to them? I said, well, I'll go to a UFL game when they're in the NBA. And they look at me like, that doesn't make any sense. I go, yeah, and just it's exactly what you just said to me about, oh, I'll go to a Louisville City game when they're in the MLS. It's like, I'll go to a Kentucky game when, when they're facing the Lakers in the NBA. Like it's that cognitive difference of people here have no problem rooting for 18 year old kids on a basketball court, you know, in the NCAA tournament, that's not a professional team, but unless you're a, a top, you know, people here don't even care about the NBA, right? It's, it's college, it's college basketball, college football. And it just, it just, to me, it's, it's, it's makes no sense that you can't support your local club in the second division of a professional, you know, pyramid structure, but you could do that in college, like college sports. That's no problem. So do you think the MLS will ever have pro pro rel? I, 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 I don't see it ever happening, but I don't think it, it will ever be taken seriously as a worldwide league until it does. Or until uh, if, if somehow the club world championship became like a premier contest, you know, where like teams really wanted to win it 
and it it drew in you know millions and millions and millions of viewers like i did the mls is just will not be a serious league well the mls barely cares about the Concacaf champions league so it's like are they going to care about anything else i mean that should be well they they, they finally won it right seattle seattle won it this year is that right yeah yeah so maybe they'll care a little bit more but but part of the reason they don't care is because no one else cares but you got to you know, make people care well who cares about mls personally I mean, you got to make know, people care about that first. A lot of the MLS teams do really well in their communities. Like they, they sell a lot of tickets. Right. But outside of that, they don't really, it's not, it's, it's, it's like, it's like league two football. I mean, it's really what it is where the communities really intensely care, but you know, I don't care what's going on with Cambridge United. Right. But the problem is, is that the league is pitched from a financial standpoint as if we're going to compete with the premier league. It's like, it needs it would be much better, like this type of stuff that I would love that what MLS and USSF uh, should be doing is focusing on like the Open Cup, like focusing on if, if that's the case, that that things are community related, then that's what they should be, go- be going for. But from an investment standpoint, they're not going to be able to get a hundred million dollar uh, expansion fees for something that isn't pitched like the NFL, right? Because the NFL isn't like community-based nfl is like no you watch the nfl on sundays and you'll root for the cowboys even if you're from albuquerque or something like that but that's the way that all professional sports the major leagues the closed leagues here in the united states operate so the mls like we're just like oh these are this is a nice community-based competition like they ain't gonna get 150 million dollars from people i mean i think it's nuts they get that to begin with yeah yeah i think that's fair all right let's get out of here let's promo the book Give them, give them the promo code. Let's do it. Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You can find a theoryofdfs.com. Use the promo code TAKECAST, spelled the incorrect way or the correct incorrect way with the A before the E to get $10 off. So if you're playing MLB DFS, if you're playing whatever, MMA, Showdown, it, it, it doesn't matter. Sport. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Right? Play whoever you want. You everything. Play whoever you want. Read whatever you want. Listen to whatever you want. Yeah. All right. Let's get out of here. Uh, Jordan, thank you for hopping on. Everyone will be back next week.